is Asia Insight, Asia Policy in a Pod. Welcome, everyone, to the Asia Insight podcast by the National Bureau of Asian Research. I'm Allison Solensky, Vice President for Research at MBR. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Stephanie Char about North Korea's increased diplomatic and economic isolation in response to COVID-19. Stephanie is a PhD candidate in political science at Columbia University, where she studies international relations and East Asia. She recently published an essay in MBR's Emerging Voices series titled North Korea's COVID-19 Choice, Greater Diplomatic and Economic Isolation. So Stephanie, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you join us here today. Great, thanks so, thanks so much for having me. Well, we'll jump right in. And to start off, can you just share a little bit with us about your current research on North Korea and the Kim regime? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as you said, I study international relations, focusing on East Asia as a region overall, and especially China's foreign policy. So currently, I have been conducting research on China's position on humanitarian intervention and economic sanctions. And I'm quite interested in how the causes and effects of China's foreign policy vary based on its economic ties with different countries. And then most recently, um, with NBR, I took a closer look at the implications of the COVID-19 pandemic for North Korea, and especially its ties with China and South Korea. Great, that's a fantastic segue. My next question, which uh, was going to be to touch on that essay, which I really enjoyed reading, um, which examined the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on North Korea. So what measures has the Kim regime taken to try to control the spread of the virus? And have they been successful at doing that? That's a great question. Uh, the North Korean government under Kim Jong-un responded quite rapidly to the initial reports of the COVID-19 virus, mostly by enacting very stringent travel restrictions. So the government suspended visits by foreign tour groups and all ground and air travel. And this was all even before the Chinese government announced its own lockdown policies in Wuhan. So quite on the early side. The North Korean government has essentially maintained this approach of heavily restricting travel both to and from North Korea and within North Korea ever since then. Uh, as an example, even after heavy flooding in August last year, uh, North Korea actually refused food aid from the World Food Program, citing concerns about the possible transmission of COVID-19. So this response of focusing on travel restrictions has been quite consistent with North Korea's reactions to reports of infectious disease outbreaks in the past, such as SARS in 2003 and Ebola in 2014. And overall, this decision to implement strict travel restrictions may have been driven by the overall lack of domestic health infrastructure. In fact, the month before the outbreak of COVID-19, uh, North Korea had actually announced plans to construct a new hospital in Pyongyang to increase its overall healthcare capacity and then accelerated construction of this hospital during the pandemic. Uh, that being said, the United Nations panel of experts uh, has deemed this hospital a white elephant project, um, as it stated in its latest report this spring. So overall, I would say that the success of these measures in preventing an outbreak of COVID-19 is still unclear. Um, at least through the summer of 2020, the North Korean government maintained that they had zero cases of COVID-19. 
but this claim hasn't been verified by other sources and it has widely been met with skepticism uh, given the lack of consistent testing within North Korea or reporting from other sources within the country. Great. And you discuss also in your essay how the pandemic has had the effect of further isolating North Korea economically and diplomatically. What have the implications been so far for inter-Korean relations in particular? Yes, um, unfortunately, the difficulties of the pandemic and North Korea's COVID-19 policies have led many of the foreign diplomats that were based in Pyongyang to leave the country. Uh, in April of this year, the Russian embassy in Pyongyang actually confirmed that about half of the embassies in the capital had closed their missions, and which has exacerbated North Korea's diplomatic isolation. Uh, so given North Korea's approach to the pandemic and the fact that it likely won't change significantly going forward, it'll probably remain difficult for foreign diplomats to return to Pyongyang until concerns about COVID-19 have subsided fairly significantly worldwide. In addition to this general diplomatic isolation, during the same time period, public inter-Korean relations in particular have also worsened significantly. So just to provide a little bit of context leading into the pandemic, in 2018 and 2019, there was a series of high profile summits between North Korean leader Kim Jong-un and South Korean President Moon Jae-in. Alongside the meetings that were taking place between Kim and US President Donald Trump in Singapore, Hanoi, and Panmunjom. So while these meetings did reduce the heat of public rhetoric that was being exchanged uh, prior to them, ultimately they didn't really result in tangible advances or productive working level negotiations on nuclear disarmament. By December of 2019, North Korea was issuing threats again about a quote, Christmas gift, which many observers were interpreting as a possible missile launch. In the end, this threat didn't materialize um, by the end of the year, but relations between uh, North Korea and South Korea and the United States had already cooled heading into the pandemic. Since the outbreak of COVID-19 soon after that, uh, Kim and Moon have publicly exchanged a couple of friendly letters uh, expressing sympathies over the COVID-19 situation in South Korea and flooding in North Korea. However, overall, North Korea has mostly rebuffed offers of cooperation from South Korea. Last summer, North Korea dramatically demolished the newly built inter-Korean liaison office, which was both a symbol of the two countries' commitment to positive relations with one another, and it was a practical means for communication between the two countries. In addition to demolishing the liaison office, there have been incidents in which North Korea has reacted to individuals coming from South Korea as likely bearers of COVID-19. When a North Korean who had previously defected to South Korea subsequently returned to North Korea, the North Korean government accused him of potentially introducing COVID-19 to the country for the first time and also declared a state of emergency in the border city, Kazong. In another incident last year, the North Korean military fatally shot a South Korean fisheries official uh, he had floated into North Korean waters during what was apparently an attempt to defect North Korea. And after shooting him, the military also burned his body out of fear of COVID-19 transmission. 
So all in all, we'd say that relations between North and South Korea um, have worsened significantly throughout the pandemic, especially in comparison to some of the optimism um, during the 2018 and 2019 summits. So as you've noted, uh, the relationship between North Korea, South Korea, United States, and other regional countries has worsened. But at the same time, uh, we've also seen it reinforcing uh, the Kim regime's reliance on China. Can you describe a little bit how the pandemic has impacted the North Korea-China relationship? Absolutely. Uh, so North Korea and China have definitely sustained their positive public relations you know, despite North Korea's stricter enforcement of various travel restrictions across their shared border. Unlike some other countries, North Korea's government and the state media have really avoided blaming or criticizing China in any way for the outbreak and the subsequent spread of COVID-19. On the flip side, China state media has also continued to depict its close ties with North Korea, such as by commemorating state and party anniversaries, and by citing North Korea's diplomatic support of China on issues such as the South China Sea and Hong Kong. In addition to these diplomatic relations, we also have to factor in how the travel restrictions that North Korea has imposed and the UN sanctions that have been in place since 2017 have really hurt North Korea's already fragile economy and resulted in significant shortages of food and medical supplies. Overall, the pandemic has highlighted how reliant North Korea is on China economically, and it's really affirmed rather than jeopardized their longstanding diplomatic relations. Okay. A few weeks ago in, in late May, President Moon of South Korea met with President Biden here in Washington, D.C. So what was the outcome of their discussions about North Korea, particularly as we know uh, the Biden administration just completed their review of North Korea policy and we're looking forward to discussing it with his counterpart at that visit? Yes, so this was quite an interesting meeting. Um, and to establish some context for this meeting, it was President Biden's second in-person meeting with the foreign head of state at the White House following his meeting with Japanese Prime Minister Yoshida Suga in April. So during President Moon's visit, President Biden and President Moon both declared their commitments to the peaceful denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula through diplomacy and dialogue. And as you mentioned, having concluded his administration's DPRK policy review, President Biden also had other announcements, such as the appointment of Ambassador Sung Kim as the U.S. Special Envoy for the DPRK. Beyond the joint statements, which covered you know, a general commitment to peaceful denuclearization, while taking questions from the press, uh, President Moon stated that the speed with which the Biden administration completed its DPRK policy review demonstrates the high priority level that they attribute to this issue. And another interesting uh, takeaway from this Q&A was that while President Biden stated he would be open to meeting with Kim Jong-un at some point, uh, this would only be if Kim made some sort of commitment before and stated that such a meeting would likely follow negotiations at the working level rather than preceding them, as, quote, had been done in the recent past, which was a clear reference to the cadence of meetings under the Trump administration.
some of the other events during President Moon's visit really highlighted that the U.S.-South Korean alliance uh, was forged during the Korean War. President Moon visited Arlington National Cemetery, and he was invited to a ceremony in which President Biden awarded the Medal of Honor to Colonel Ralph Puckett Jr., a veteran of the Korean War. Of course, uh, aside from North Korea, the leaders also discussed a range of issues um, and the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, res with respect to the pandemic, they announced two specific measures. Uh, one, the provision of 550,000 vaccines to vaccinate the South Korean armed forces in particular, and the establishment of a Korea-US global vaccine partnership to allow Korea to produce vaccines by applying American vaccine technology. Uh, their joint statements also covered supply chain resiliency, especially in semiconductor chips, South Korean investment in the United States, more ambitious South Korean targets under the Paris Agreement, and cooperation across issues such as space, cybercrime, democracy, educational exchanges, domestic violence, and development projects in Southeast Asia. Uh, one of the other uh, items they discussed um, was the United States lifting restrictions on missile range and payload weight that South Korea had agreed to in 1979. This was the main announcement that North Korea actually reacted to in the aftermath of the summit. Uh, over a week after the summit took place, um, the Korean Central News Agency, which is one of North Korea's state media outlets, published a critique of this particular decision, reacting negatively um, and criticizing the United States in particular. But there haven't really been any other public responses to the summit by North Korea. Um, and so it will, it will remain to be seen um, whether we see other reactions in the future. On China's part, uh, China's ambassador to Seoul, Xing Haiming, expressed some displeasure that the joint statements included a reference to preserving peace and stability across the Taiwan Straits, which China considers to be part of its internal affairs, but otherwise hasn't reacted particularly negatively to this meeting. So this is notable, especially given some South Korean observers had been concerned that referencing issues that are sensitive to China could lead to economic retaliation against South Korea. And this is especially the case given various economic measures that China enacted in 2017 over South Korea's deployment of Terminal High Altitude Area Defense, also known as THAAD. Great, so against the backdrop of these developments, what do you think the prospects are for a resumption of negotiations on denuclearization this year, particularly as the COVID-19 pandemic continues to dominate global resources and attention? Oh, that's a great question. And as President Moon's recent visit to the White House demonstrated, there are a lot of issues that are competing for the attention of all governments at present, um, especially the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, in addition to uh, this split attention, North Korea's response to the pandemic in particular has diminished the number of potential diplomatic channels for talks. For example, North Korea has already announced that they won't be attending the Tokyo Olympics this summer because of concerns about COVID-19. So while North Korea may change their mind if they stick to this decision, there won't be an opportunity for additional diplomatic contact during the Olympics which South Korea had definitely leveraged while hosting the 2018 Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang. 
That being said, the pandemic may also be providing additional incentives for North Korea to return to the negotiating table. Uh, the North Korean government has enacted various measures to evade sanctions, but the pandemic may further incentivize them to return to nuclear discussions in order to lift those sanctions. Um, North Korean state media itself um, has reported how the Korean Workers' Party has openly discussed its concern about the state of the economy. And the UN panel of experts has likewise described the humanitarian situation in North Korea as, quote, dire and rapidly deteriorating. North Korea has been able to subvert some of these sanctions through measures such as deceptive maritime practices and cybercrime, but the pandemic could still further push Kim Jong-un to return to negotiations in the near term. In addition to North Korea's openness to talks, the openness of other countries to participating in talks and their possible prioritization of discussions of denuclearization are also still relatively promising for the resumption of talks. With respect to South Korea, President Moon will very likely continue to prioritize reopening discussions with North Korea, especially as this is the final year of his term in office with South Korean presidential elections scheduled for March 2022. On the U.S. side, even before President Moon's visit in May, President Biden's administration had already publicly confirmed in March of this year that they have engaged in outreach to North Korea. Um, so more outreach by the United States through private diplomatic channels may be taking place right now, or more may be forthcoming, especially with the completion of their policy review. Uh, as for China, the Chinese government recently appointed Ambassador Liu Xiaoming as their special representative on Korean Peninsula affairs. Uh, Ambassador Liu has previously been posted to North Korea, and he was most recently China's ambassador to the United Kingdom demonstrating that a veteran diplomat will be managing China's diplomacy towards North Korea and any potential multilateral talks that involve the Korean Peninsula. Of course, uh, for meaningful negotiations to take place this year, both China and the United States will have to be willing to support or actively participate in these discussions of denuclearization, despite ongoing bilateral tensions in other issue areas. Yeah, to wrap it up, is there anything else from your essay, your recent research, developments in the news related to the themes that we've been chatting about that you want to share with our listeners? Uh, I think there's uh, not too much else. Um, mm -hmm. The meeting between President Moon and President Biden definitely highlighted some of these um, questions and I think um, has been interesting to sort of clarify the, the two countries' stances, especially with the new administration coming in in the United States. Thanks so much for talking with me today, Stephanie, and covering such a broad range of issues on the pandemic's impact in North Korea, as well as uh, ongoing developments in the USRK and Chinese diplomacy towards North Korea. We really appreciate it. Asia Insight podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify. Thank you for listening to this episode of Asia Insight. 